The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 157 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Bonello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are my own and not that of my president or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during the show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at the very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and to get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Last week, George had CEO of eShare, Nick Stamos, and the Director of Core Security Architecture for Humana, Mitchell Greenfield, on the show to discuss when enterprises move from a no-cloud to a cloud-first model. They discussed the security problems with externally sharing files and collaborating with clients, partners, and other third parties. Since nearly everyone has adopted a cloud-based collaboration and sharing tools in some form like Microsoft Teams, OneDrive, SharePoint Online, securing these tools and extending them to support External collaboration efforts has become top of mind issue, especially during the current pandemic. So listen to the founder and CEO, Nicholas Stamos, and Director of Core Security Architecture for Humana, Mitchell Greenfield, explain how you can secure your data in your transition to cloud-based collaboration tools right here on episode number 156 of Task Force 7 Radio. In case you missed it, don't sweat it. You can find us everywhere on Playback, folks. That's What's your Microsoft Office 365 data protection strategy on last week's episode? That's episode 156 of Task Force 7 Radio. So we have another return guest for you tonight. We have cyber growth leader from Willis Towers Watson, Mr. Tom Finan. Tom is director and cyber growth leader Willis Tower Watson's FinEx cyber liability practice. In this role, Tom advances the company's integrated approach to cybersecurity across all aspects of people, capital, and technology risk. Tom previously worked as a Chief Strategy Officer of ARC Network Security Solutions. He also served as a Senior Cybersecurity Strategist and Counsel for within the Department of Homeland Security's National Protection and Programs Directorate. While at DHS, Tom established and led the agency's Cybersecurity Insurance Initiative in support of implementation of Executive Order 13636. And he was also created DHS's Cyber Incident Data and Analysis Working Group a private-public engagement forum that examined how a cyber incident data repository could help meet the information and analysis requirements of both insurance industry and technical cybersecurity professionals. Tom previously served as the staff director and counsel for the Subcommittee on Intelligence, Information Sharing, and Terrorism Risk Assessment within the U.S. House Committee of Homeland Security. Tom's a former assistant general counsel at FBI, and prior to his FBI position, he worked in private litigation practice He earned his JD from the University of Minnesota Law School and a bachelor's from the University of Virginia. 
It's my pleasure to bring back cyber growth leader for Willis Towers, Watson, Mr. Tom Finan. Tom, welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, buddy. Hey, thanks, Andy. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be back. Yeah, man. Episode 141 was a big hit. I got tons of emails after the show. Even still, as people download it on playback, I'm still getting hit up about that episode. It's great to have you back, buddy. Hey, I'm thrilled, and I'm glad your listeners enjoyed it for sure. Yeah, man. So let's jump right on in. Look, 2020, we're, we're turning the corner. We're getting into the holidays soon here in the U.S. Tell me a little bit about how has ransomware impacted the cyber insurance market in 2020? Well, to be honest with you, Andy, it's, it's going to have, and it has had, a major impact this year. Um, I was looking at some figures from Beasley, which is one of the large underwriters out there, and they're estimating that ransomware demands are up 239% this year over this point last year, and that the average payment that's being paid out on cyber insurance policies across all industries is $178,000 per incident. That may not sound like a lot to some companies, but I can tell you I'm personally aware of ransom demands that are being paid in the seven or eight figure range. So it it has been, yeah, it's just gotten shall we say, a lot of attention because the cyber criminals are figuring out, hey, we can get paid. This is working. And they're not discriminating. They're really hitting every sector at this point. I mean, I remember when I you know, was spending some time in the, the, the insurance market um, and you know, it was interesting you know, kind of when NotPetya hit and everything around, you know, it's the first threat I felt that the insurance market was facing that was uh, cross sector and cross geography in a way that you couldn't plan for, at least in, in the actual aerial models at the time, um, which I find, you know, fascinating, right? So there's this big scramble around changing contract language and setting limits and all this kind of stuff. And that was happening now, that's now a few years ago, right? And so you're still seeing this, you know, the cyber criminals adjust their techniques almost as if, they're doing it in, in line with how the insurance industry is adjusting, right? Which is amazing. Yeah. Right. No, that's exactly right. I mean, and, you know, look, cybersecurity insurance policies, you know, they've been around in some form or fashion since the late 1990s, but they evolve and they're evolving based upon what do clients want and need. And, and you're right, a couple of years ago, ransomware came into the public consciousness and, and you started seeing those news articles about companies being hit and, and ransoms being demanded and, frankly, ransoms being paid. And, and that has sort of grown considerably. And because cyber insurance wants to respond to client needs, most policies out there will cover, you know, a ransomware demand. They'll also cover, you know, the costs involved with hiring a negotiator to hopefully reduce whatever that demand may be. And the cyber criminals are aware, you know, I, I've, I've heard of several instances where, you know, some of them will infiltrate an enterprise network and they're looking very specifically for the cyber insurance policy. They want to see how much coverage is there and they'll make a demand that is in line with that insurance coverage because they're assuming they're going to get paid. Wow. I mean, that's just, that's just amazing. Like, it's no surprise, right, for me. I mean, I have, I'm having such intimate knowledge of the cyber criminal, but, you know, it's, always, it's just always amazing to see how, in, in, you know, 
how they treat what they do like a business, right? <laughs> it's just amazing. <laughs> it is. Well, I can tell you one aside. Um, it actually is like a business. Like once you contact the cyber criminals, they have call centers. And I'm told that some of the people that answer your calls to process a Bitcoin payment are the loveliest people on the planet. You know, you think that they're a good friend. They want to work with you. And it really has become almost like uh, you, unless, unless you st step back and said to yourself, wow, I'm, I'm being basically extorted and I need to pay millions of dollars here. You would actually think that these were just nice customer service people. It's, it's become that refined. Yeah. So, so let's, let's, let's fast forward then, right? Let's start looking at in the 2020, like what changes are happening in the market heading into 21? Well, ransomware, uh, as you may have guessed, is having a very big impact uh, mo because most cyber insurance policies do cover the, the demand, uh, a demand payment, an extortion payment. Uh, as a result of that, unfortunately, a lot of carriers, the underwriters, have been paying out a lot of money. And so what we're seeing pretty consistently across the board is that if you already have a policy, even if you haven't had a ransomware incident, uh, your premiums are going to be going up. Uh, on average, we're seeing about 15% to 25%. Um, and we're also seeing pressure with what are known as retentions. So when you buy a, a, really any insurance policy, but in, I'll use cyber insurance as the, as the, as the example, you know, there's a certain amount of money that you as the impacted company are going to pay, say it's $50,000. And then once you've paid the $50,000 for whatever the loss may be, anything over that is what the insurance pays for. Well, there have been some, some shall we say, developments where uh, companies that may have been paying $50,000 on a policy, in, in a few instances, those retentions are going up pretty high. There's one case I'm aware of where it's jumped to $500,000. Now, I think that's an outlier but, uh, but that does indicate that there is some pressure. Um, what we're, we're hearing some rumblings that the carriers, again, the underwriters may want to sublimit how much they'd be willing to pay on a demand. So you might have a policy that says today, we'll pay up to $10 million for a ransom demand. And some are saying, well, gee, that's, that's actually a lot. We might want to sublimit to $250,000. So, you know, and, and this is really sort of the reaction that they, they just don't want that full exposure um, out there. Yeah, there's been some discussion about some carriers leaving the market because of the amount of money that they've been paying out in ransomware demand. Um, I, we haven't seen any of them actually do that yet. But the one interesting note that I would flag for you, and, and this is where it kind of gets into risk management you know, in a, in a non-insurance way, is this idea of subrogation. So in an insurance policy, uh, when, you, when you sign it, it's a contract, the, the insurance carrier, the underwriter, has your rights of subrogation. They can go pursue a third party if they're somehow responsible for your loss. So there was a panel a number of weeks ago with some very prestigious underwriters, and there was some, I think, some frank discussion that carriers are thinking about uh, perhaps going after some of these cybersecurity providers, you know, if they are not doing what they're supposed to be doing for a company to protect them, you know, maybe there's a cause of action that the insurer will pursue. That's new. And we'll have to sort of look and see how that develops over the, the course of the end of 2020 and into 2021. But it is indicative of the impact that ransomware is having, that it's a big loss area that a lot of money is being paid out for. 
and the market is responding by wanting to continue to insure and provide that coverage, but perhaps not on as generous terms as they have in 2020. Wow. So, so if I heard you right, if I'm a pro- security product provider and I go out in the world and tell you I can stop all these threats and if for some reason I don't, right? That's a very interesting place to be, right? <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm, a, I'm a former former attorney or former practicing <laughs> attorney, I should say. And I will say this, um, the plaintiff's bar is very talented. They're expert attorneys. They, they know what they're doing. And if there's a cause of action that they could pursue, they're certainly going to experiment, you know, and I don't know, you know, it would really be fact dependent, but, you know, it really depends upon what those representations are by that cybersecurity provider. Um, and then you know, the specific instance of loss that takes place. But I, I think that there really needs to be a focus on, on what some of these companies are promising to do and how they're representing themselves. Because, uh, you know, I think there is, again, that desire not to be taking on all of the loss. And if they can recoup some of the amounts that they're paying out under an insurance policy by going after a third party, um, that there's at least, I should say, growing interest in doing that. So something that bears watching. So how hard is it then for brokers to go shop around, you know, for you as a potential, like, if I want to buy a cyber insurance policy and I'm going through a broker and they're shopping me around, right? Like, how hard, what's that like? Right. (laughs) It's a a great question. So there are are over 60 uh, underwriters, the companies that provide cyber insurance. And there are, there's some, you know, the, many of them are, are quite quite good and, and they're getting smarter on, on cyber risk and, and what the losses might look like, you know, really every day. Um, and, and really the broker's job and what I do is really work to understand what is the cyber risk posture of this company? Where have they been? What investments have they made to bolster their cybersecurity? And where are they going given their perception of risk, their business priorities and all that good stuff? And I think the market, the carriers typically will have an application that you fill out and you're responding, you know, as best you can. And, you know, some carriers, I think, like certain risks. They like to focus on a particular industry segment or sector. Uh, They want to, they might segregate, you know, middle market versus large clients, whatever it may be. The one thing that we're seeing consistently, though, are two things. One, Uh, you're starting to get what we call the ransomware supplemental. So there's that word again, ransomware, where you're, in addition to that renewal application, you're getting anywhere from 15 to 25 additional questions that really go deep into your your policies and procedures and controls to address a ransomware event. uh, And they're really testing that. Um, The other thing that I'm seeing consistently, and this is, again, I you know, it, it's more of the underwriter looking more deeply and closely at each company to understand, is this a safer risk or not? Um, you're starting to see them use those vendors out there that are looking are assigning scores to the organization, or they're uh, sort of generating a report based upon the external endpoints. And they're saying, okay, this is what their grade is. This is what their score is. And it's really intended to open up a conversation between that underwriter and the client at renewal to, you know, have a discussion about, well, what are you doing? Maybe you got a C 
what does a C mean? And what are you going to do to get to a B? Whatever the case may be. And there's so many thoughts around the scores. We can dive into that like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And it's imperfect. But what I, what I do like about it and I, what I think it is a sign of and in, in going into 2021 is a, a greater seriousness and a greater need to open up that conversation about risk management. What are you actually doing? Talk to me about uh, your priorities, where you're putting your, your resource dollars when it comes to cyber risk management, and really be able to have that good story so you can distinguish yourself as a safer risk as compared to peer organizations. So the fact that the underwriters are going deeper than perhaps they have in the past, uh, I think the silver lining, unfortunately, with premium increases is that you're building, a, I think, a stronger relationship with a carrier that understands you and your business and is willing to underwrite you because they see you as a safer risk and they want to reward you for, for doing the right thing and being on the right track. Yeah, man. I have so many questions, man. We got to quit. We got to transition to a commercial <laughs> break. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram at, at TF7 Radio. And you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family on your favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7, that's with the number seven, radio.com. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, then we're right back with cyber growth leader from Willis Towers Watson, Mr. Tom Finan. So whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Synet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Synet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Synet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure security-innovation.org or Google Synet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with cyber growth leader from Willis Towers Watson, Mr. Tom Finan. So, Tom, before we dive into risk management, which I can't wait to get your perspective on, I want to I want to get your your views on you know what other sectors has ransomware started to have an impact on uh, as it relates to cyber insurance. I'm glad you asked, Andy, because I think my short answer is it's not just about data anymore. I mean, we're all familiar with. The cyber criminals getting in there, getting access to your data, encrypting it and saying, you know, pay me a million dollars or you, you'll never see it again. Um, that's certainly continuing to happen. What we are now seeing is a level of sophistication that up until this point had not existed with cyber threat actors. And they are starting to learn and understand operational technology, OT. So think your SCADA and other industrial control systems. And they are now going after, you know, an area of great concern to me, which I, I call the life support sector. So water, energy, uh, telecom, oil and natural gas, anything that depends upon uh, this convergence of IT and OT. And what they're essentially doing with a ransomware uh, playbook is coming in and saying, hey, we, we now can basically turn you off. We can stop your factory process. We can prevent oil from traveling through a pipeline, whatever the case may be. And that is a, a loss that could be in the millions of, and millions of dollars very quickly. Uh, and as a result of that, you know, the, the cyber insurance market, which is constantly evolving, is trying to meet that need. So yes, there's the basic coverage of you know, privacy liability and network liability and certainly the breach incident response uh, costs that the, the policies continue to cover. But you now see the emergence of what's known as business interruption coverage. So if you are down, your lights are off, your, your water's not running, whatever the case may be, uh, that kind of cyber insurance will pay for your lost income and your extra expenses to get back and up, up and running. And you know, if you're a supply chain organization and you depend upon third parties for your process to work, uh, that business interruption coverage is also extended to those third parties. It, it's a kind of policy called contingent business interruption. And it goes on and on. And, you know, I get questions a lot from folks, especially in the oil and natural gas sector, um, you know, where a lot of these issues are, are sort of uh, being fleshed out, uh, you know, very much uh, currently. And I, I always am getting sort of a surprise reaction when I tell them that, you know, there is now coverage for that. And, and this is news to them. You know, one of the things that came up a number of years ago was that German steel mill, and there was an attack on the, the OT network, and there was massive damage done uh, to a blast furnace. 
Well, as a response to that, the cyber insurance market is now offering what's known as cyber property damage coverage. So really that damaged property, it could be computer equipment, it could be uh, other equipment that is, that is essential to a business process, you know, certainly limited to whatever amount uh, of, of, of coverage is provided in a particular policy, uh, but it is there. It's a nascent new area, but it is growing in response to customer demand. And then the corollary to that is cyber bodily injury. So if you are, you know, a passerby, you know, walking by a pipeline, or if you're on a factory floor and there's a cyber event, uh, and they manipulate the control systems in such a way that, for example, they cause an explosion and you're injured. You know, normally that would be covered under a general liability policy. But given the cyber nexus, the cyber insurance market is responding uh, to create that kind of coverage. Uh, the couple of other areas, um, you know, especially when you're in the OT environment, I'm thinking water, uh, wastewater uh, services, oil and natural gas and energy. Uh, failure to supply. So if you're out because of a cyber attack and you have some contractual obligation to provide uh, services or, or uh, supplies or material uh, to uh, along, you know, to a business partner, you're likely going to be sued. Um, and the cyber insurance policy is going to cover the expenses that are involved there for your failure to supply. Uh, but there's also system failure. So this was sort of overlooked by the cyber insurance market for a while. Maybe you're downloading new software, there's some sort of administrative change going on, and there hasn't been an actual cyber event, but everything's on the fritz, you know, no, nothing's working and you're down for hours or days. Um, that's now contemplated in the cyber insurance policies as well uh, as system failure coverage and then contingent system failure coverage, which is pretty cool. Um, and it, it's going to continue growing and, and, and developing in that way because there's growing realization that it's not, again, just a data problem anymore. It's extending into the physical realm. And as a result of that, it's going to have to draw upon, you know, a physical response. You know, one of the challenges that I see is that a lot of these companies now are very interested in things like cyber property damage. Uh, the cyber insurance market be, is able to cover losses to a certain amount, really depends on the policy. But if you're an oil and natural gas company and your pipeline is shut off because of a cyber attacker, your losses are gonna be in the millions of dollars very quickly. And I really think that it's gonna be necessary for other lines of coverage to step into. Uh, I think the property insurance market is the most likely. It is probably the largest insurance market that's out there, has a lot of capital behind it. There has been a trend in really in, in 2020 and, and even last year to sort of exclude cyber events from property coverage. Uh, and, I, and I think there have been a number of reasons for that. But I do think um, it's going to be necessary over time there to be sort of a coming together of different lines of coverage to make sure that losses are paid for, uh, whether they're caused by a cyber event or not, the loss is real to the client. And, you know, if history is any guide, I think you'll see these policy areas start to merge and complement one another to make sure that a loss can be covered adequately. Yeah. So, so the, the idea, so the property, you know, coverage, does that, did that also cover like K and R, like the old kidnap and ransom coverage, was that bundled in in their property policy previously, or, or no? I, I think it was a standalone. And you know, in the ransomware context, it was interesting to see. You know, you have a K and R policy, and 
it was for what you would traditionally believe KNR is for, a kidnapping and ransom situation in the physical world. And when ransomware started hitting, KNR policies were responding. Yeah, and it was not contemplated, but they were responding. Now that is starting to change. You're starting to see an exception for cyber events from KNR policies. And the reason is that when the underwriters were pricing those policies, they were not taking into account that there could be a cyber attack. Ransomware was not something that people even knew about. But because they're so, uh, those kinds of events are so frequent, they're sort of becoming the major source of going after recovery <laughs> through a K&R policy. And so the, the, the amount of premium that was being charged uh, really wasn't sufficient to cover the losses. So you saw uh, that shift more to a cyber insurance line of coverage there are some carriers that are still providing ransomware coverage through KNR, but I think that those that are continuing to do so are probably charging a lot more in premium than they were even even just a few years ago. Yeah, I gotta believe the caps on that have got to be changed. So, so, so let's switch gears then, because I think this is a great segue into the risk management side of things. You know, if you're thinking about having to have a KNR policy and understanding like what property coverage you have and how the convergence is going to happen, like that really speaks to ERM. Right? Like what's the overall enterprise risk management, you know, culture framework, um, you know, so how, how has cyber insurance helped companies get their, we'll call it their cyber house in order? Well, great. It's a great question. And I, what I would say to you initially, Andy, is, and it's very important to emphasize that simply having a cybersecurity insurance policy does not make a company safer but I am a big believer that going through the cybersecurity insurance process really can have that ERM impact, whether you buy a policy or not. And, and so let me sort of break down what I mean by that. You know, in many of the companies that we're, we're working with, you've got different leaders. You've got the CFO, you've got the general counsel, you've got the CISO, the CSO, HR, and you really want from an enterprise risk management perspective to bring all of these people to the table and have them come to some sort of consensus about what is mission critical for the organization. And once you know what's mission critical, like what has to happen on a daily basis for this organization to be a going concern into the future, then you have to ask the question, well, which of those mission critical functions depend upon IT or, or OT, but you know, IT we'll use for this example. And that allows you to prioritize what is most important, what do we need to do in terms of a cybersecurity investment in order to make sure that we're, if not preventing a cyber event, then doing everything we can to mitigate it. And this is where insurance can be helpful. You know, as a broker, when I'm, in, I'm talking to a client, my goal is to make sure that I am developing a story for that client and bringing it to the insurers and saying, look, company X, is really getting its its groove on here. You know, here's where they were three years ago. This is what they're doing now based upon maybe loss experience or their business priorities. And here's where they're going. And it's risk informed. And here's why they're safer than a peer. When you meet with a broker, you're gonna have an application. You're gonna get a lot of questions about, well, what are you doing? And why are you doing it that way? And, and how are you prioritizing your spend? And it's really to develop that narrative for the market to put the client in the best light possible, a truthful light, obviously, but really sort of explain that, hey, this is a safer risk. They should be getting as you know coverage at X limit 
at the most favorable uh, premium possible. And, you know, on the flip side of that, you have the underwriters and, and the underwriters are the ones that are actually on the hook for the loss, because if there's a bad day, they're the ones that are paying the money. And so they're going to have their own sets of questions that they're going to ask to understand how a company is thinking about risk, what's their risk appetite, what's a, what's a priority, and how are they pursuing that. Um, what I do think is great about the application process, though, is that you need input from all of those leaders in the organization. So yes, what's mission critical? Who owns those assets? Who's responsible for them operationally? And then having a frank discussion about where are our cybersecurity strengths and where are our weaknesses? And then getting everyone on board with, well, you know, since these are the mission critical things and we put them in this priority order, then we need to be funding those things in that same order. And, and the cyber insurance application process, again, you don't have to buy the policy to go through this process. You know, just you just get the benefit of the conversation, really focuses people in a way that I think is helpful because people on, they may be a little bit hesitant to have a discussion about quote unquote cybersecurity, but if you're having a conversation about insurance or what's needed for the business, then you tend to get all of those, those people together. And then funding, I think more easily follows. It's more logical. People understand what's going on. Um, and I think that the same thing sort of plays out with the underwriters because the underwriters being on the hook for the loss are certainly going to ask some of the same questions that the broker is going to ask, but very often they're asking different questions. And those different questions are typically based on the loss that a client experienced yesterday. And this is where the risk management value comes. If they have had a loss of you know, involving companies like you know, the client that I'm bringing to them, they're going to go much deeper because it's very fresh in their minds. They're going to understand you know, what the amount of loss was, and they're going to understand controls for that particular loss situation at a much deeper level than they might in another type of loss situation. And what I think is great about this is that even if you don't buy the policy, but you go work with the broker, then you go talk to the, the underwriters, getting that understanding through the questions you're being asked gives you a really good sense of what's actually going on out there. What are the incidents that are happening to companies like me? And how should that be affecting my thinking about how to prioritize risk? So I think there's tremendous value, again, in just going through that process, having those conversations, and frankly, getting the, the free benefit of what's going on to peer organizations uh, that have right. unfortunately suffered a loss. Yeah, it's always great to get that outside of you. <clears throat> so so kind of how do companies know? I mean, you must get this all the time. Like, how, how do companies know how much covers they need? Like at what point do they go, oh, we'll take, we'll gamble, you know, like what are you seeing when you talk to companies around how they decide how much they think they need? Well, and it's a, a very typical question. And then typically uh, the first thing that a, a client or a prospect wants to know is, well, what are other companies that are like me doing? And so we call that benchmarking. And yes, most brokers and underwriters can give you a benchmark, uh, and, and we typically do the benchmarks based on industry and the, the revenue uh, levels that they're bringing in. And we sort of track, okay, a company of your size with that revenue, they're buying $20 million, right? And that can be useful, but it's really only one touch point because you don't know the reasons why 
companies are gravitating toward that particular dollar amount in coverage. You know, it could be that they're new in the market. You know, they've never bought cyber insurance before, so they've picked a number that feels comfortable to them, but it, they're not maybe jumping in with both feet. Uh, maybe there's a budgetary limitation. They can't buy more than that. You don't know the whole story. Um, so I, I think benchmarking is one one data point that I think is useful. One of the things we do at Wills Towers Watson, uh, we work with a cyber analytics tool uh, where we're looking uh, at you know numbers of records, network reliance, uh, how much income is dependent upon your network being up and running, uh, how many employees do you have, number of customers. And we do a lot of analytics around that to sort of figure out, not necessarily quote unquote, the answer to what you should buy, but looking at different factors, you know, if you buy 5 million versus 15 versus 25 versus 50, where do you really get value from the insurance, you know, as opposed to maybe investing the money that's available to you in a control or, or foregoing insurance or whatever it may be. Um, and, and sort of figuring out, you know, where is that sweet spot and where, what's going to drive a decision. And when we do those analytics, we try to base it on, you know, cyber incidents of which we're aware, you know, very much in the same sector, and we can experiment and do that sort of thing. So There's how, no, yeah. how, how is risk management going to change the line of questioning in an application at renewal next year in 21? Like, I feel like, you know, there's going to be a shift. I agree. I agree. Yeah, so I, I think traditionally you've seen an application that asks questions and answers are provided. I, I think because of the the hardening market where premiums are going up, there's concern about you know payouts of ransomware, especially, but other cyber incidents as well. I think it's going to be a much more joined conversation with the brokers and underwriters about the specifics of what you're doing. Um, and I think it, it's not so much, uh, tell me what you're doing. It's also, well, well, prove it to me. So I think what's going to be emerging is that if a company can show where its cybersecurity is weak, was weak and strong and can show the impact of investments that have been made uh, and really provide the proof, the evidence, that is really going to be the differentiator. And, you know, it could take a, a couple of different forms. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of different vendors out there that are offering pretty, pretty amazing products. Uh, I think, you know, cybersecurity economics is something that is certainly emerging. You know, what are you doing uh, to, what, what is justifying that investment from a business perspective and in terms of, you know, risk mitigation and being able to measure those things? So I think measurement and evidence is going to be carrying much more weight in the future. You know, I think up until now, there, there's been a lot of interest in, in you know, getting the, as many companies as possible knowledge about, knowledgeable about cyber insurance. Uh, those of, of, of those companies that see value, you know, buying it and that sort of thing. And they've, I, by and large, I think the underwriters have sort of capped premiums for certain classes of business. Uh, and to see, you know, what does the loss history look like across a specific industry or subsector, whatever the case may be. And that's how you grow a market and develop it and develop the data that you need to start asking those deeper questions about risk management. But now we're at a pivot point where I think there's going to be 
more expected and asked of the applicant to be able to really demonstrate, you know, strong cybersecurity with proof. Um, and really, you know, that measurement theme is one that we're going to be seeing increasingly. Yeah, I mean, you're going to want to you want to hedge some hedge some bets, right? Get that insight into uh, not just a questionnaire, but uh, maybe get start getting outputs of tools or whatever else you're going to use to to make that happen. Uh, I get it. Um, all right, folks, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away. We'll be right back with more from Cyber Growth Leader from Willis Towers Watson, Mr. Tom Finan. You're listening to Task Force Seven Radio the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Synet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Synet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Synet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Synet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with cyber growth leader from Willis Towers Watson, Mr. Tom Finan. All right, Tom. 
So what are some of the hot topic areas you're seeing as a broker and among the underwriter community heading into 2021? Well, Andy, there are what I call the core four that are happening now. And some of them are common sense and, and have been of, of importance for many years. And some of them are being dictated by events, shall we say. Uh, but they they fall into these four buckets. And the first, frankly, is COVID-19. Um, there's a lot of concern among carriers about how the pandemic has impacted uh, the information security programs of different companies. Um, they typically want to know, uh, are any projects on hold? I mean, have you had hiring freezes or, or changes to your staff as a result of budgetary challenges? Uh, and, and what impact is COVID-19 having on your plans going forward? You know, we're dealing with, you know, sort of an unknown territory. No one really knows when sort of the, the lockdowns and, and our remote learning or remote work is, is ever going to, you know, come to an end. And so I think you're seeing a lot of companies really st struggling to figure out, well, how much money should we be putting toward, you know, securing our employees working from home what do we need to do sort of in the four walls of the quote unquote office, you know, formal office location. And it's calling on, on some of the cybersecurity leaders out there to, to really think through strategically and differently uh, about where those priorities are and what those controls need to be. Um, the fact that I think every single one of the carriers that I've encountered over the last several months are asking questions about COVID-19 is indicative of the level of concern um, and they just, they want to see that you have a strong program and that whatever you're doing is making sense, uh, given your, your particular circumstances and where your employees are. Um, the, the second major area is access control. I know that, that it doesn't sound, you know, you know, overly revolutionary, but this is a perennial issue. I, I can't tell you how many times there are breaches and significant losses because a company although they may have had a policy, did not actually uh, to take away the credentials of a departing employee. Uh, and an employee comes in, and, and a former employee, I should say, and is unfortunately able to access the system and wreak havoc. So it's very much uh, you know, front of mind for a lot of carriers. They want to know the basics. You know, how is access granted to sensitive information and systems? What tools do you have in place? What controls do you have in place? Um, Multi-factor authentication hits high. Um, and then, you know, sort of how are you, you know, how are you developing policies and procedures in this space? I think it actually links back to COVID-19. You know, how are you doing this from a remote environment as well? So there's some overlap there. Um, one of my personal favorites um, is vendor management questions. Third parties are seen increasingly as a very soft target, typically because they're middle-sized or small companies that maybe don't have gigantic uh, cybersecurity budgets, and cyber threat actors know that. And so they've been sort of targeted uh, as a, a means to get in to a larger organization because those, those vendors, especially critical vendors, often will have remote access into those organizations. So... The underwriting applications I've seen, they want to know what controls you have in place uh, to prevent or mitigate breaches from external vendors. How are you classifying or identifying who those critical vendors are? Because they know that you can't, you know, if you've got thousands of vendors, you can't be securing them all at the same speed, at the same rate, or at the same level, 
all at the same time. So how are you prioritizing and making decisions there? Um, and it's a problem that that is not not going away. I'm seeing it come up in the retirement context right now. It just, you know, it, it sort of leapfrogs from sector to sector and situation to situation. The big thing that I've seen now is with 401k plans, uh, a lot of outside vendors uh, that are plan administrators, you know, sort of set up the website so you can access your, your 401k plan information are, are being targeted typically through social engineering attacks, but others, other, other means as well. Um, and it's, you know, certainly waking up the retirement sector for sure. And then the fourth bucket is something that we've talked about this, uh, this evening. It's really ransomware. Um, and you're, I mentioned a, a ransomware supplemental where you're, you're getting maybe 15 to 25 additional questions. They really want you to be specific. Um, what exactly are your preparedness steps? How are you addressing the issue before it happens? when it happens, after it happens, they, they want all the details. And then what tools are, are, you, are you putting into place? And you know, I, I wouldn't say that the underwriters are expecting a particular answer. There's no perfect way uh, to address any one of these, these four buckets of, of potential issues. But one of the, the things that I expect the underwriters to do is that once they see what uh, different companies across different industry segments are doing, they're going to get a sense of what best practice looks like. And so these questions will evolve. And if they see, you know, critical mass around a particular control uh, for ransomware, that will probably become, you know, a basic question that will be asked consistently across all industry sectors. And so they're learning um, as much as they are assessing, assessing risk. So it's a, it's a, it's a constant process of them improving based upon what they see emerging as best practice among companies in the market. Yeah, I've, I've always felt that the cyber insurance market had the ability to drive how companies spend money in on what controls. You know, I mean, obviously folks have to customize their security program for themselves. Um, but I always felt like this market had the ability to be a real catalyst for change um, or improvements far greater than a, like a compliance standard would. Um, it's interesting to see kind of how this is shaping up um, because obviously all these things are based on what's going on in the world, right? The threat landscape, the um, um, obviously the pandemic, you know, and kind of how we work. So like it's, it shifts outside of just, it's more encompassing than just threat, right? That can change so quickly. Um, it, it gets to an interesting point. So, where, where do you see the, you know, the market going? Like, what do you, where, what do you think are the next things that will be the, um, you know, when you get outside of these four, like, and you start to look further out, like, what's going to be the thing that you think people should focus on? Is it like how they they translate those risk scores into economics? Is it you know what what are you thinking? Yeah, it's it's actually exactly that, Andy. It's it's all about enterprise risk management because as the cyber insurance market is maturing, and it absolutely is, they, they've come to recognize that the risk evolves quickly, the landscape shifts, uh, different sectors respond differently based upon exposures that are common to many companies and then individual exposures. So I think you're going to start seeing more interest in, you know, what is the value that you're getting out of the investments that you have? 
Um, how are you, again, we discussed this earlier, how are you measuring that? And then how are you shifting that investment over time, right? Because the controls can't remain static. The cyber criminals are like water. They're going to be relentless in their, in their efforts to get in and then eventually around whatever controls you erect. So how are you making sure that in a world of limited resource dollars, certainly including limited risk management dollars, that you're getting the most bang for the buck from that investment? So I, I do think there's going to be a a bigger emphasis on understanding cyber risk, not so much as a technical issue, but as a business problem. You know, and so if you've made an investment in company X, who was part of that decision? That might be a more common question. You know, is your general counsel and your CFO linked in on that? Or does the CISO have access to the board to, to have a discussion? What, you know, who, who's influencing the ultimate decision about a spend. I think they're going to be as much interested in the internal business leadership dynamics about how decisions are ultimately reached about how to quote unquote do cybersecurity as they are in the, the actual controls that are deployed. The sense is that if you've got an executive leadership team that's engaged, they understand in a business sense uh, why cyber risk is a big deal to their particular organization and that they are prioritizing it uh, in a way that is delivering real security value, that will be weighed a lot more heavily. The, the cultural aspect, uh, the leadership aspect, really, you know, the communications aspect. And that, that's, again, why ERM is so critical, because it forces people sitting in different positions and different silos in their organizations to focus on a common problem. Yes, they may be coming at it from a different perspective. They may be looking at uh, cybersecurity priorities differently. But, you know, ERM is a, a terrific vehicle to get folks understanding the overall good and prioritization and where they fit in that so you can ultimately get the buy-in that you need to support the investment. And once you've got, you know, people from HR to the technical folks, to the CFO, to the general counsel on the same page and talking about cybersecurity, that conversation continues because they, they're comfortable having it. They know with whom they need to have it and they can make their case for, for where priorities need to be uh, over time. It becomes less scary to have that conversation because it doesn't have to happen in a technical way. So I do think the, the underwriters and brokers both are going to be weighing that more heavily going forward. It's just the sign of a more mature organization. Yeah, Todd, look, I really appreciate you coming back on the show. Obviously, the insight's always fantastic. I always learn something when you come on. So I appreciate it, brother. Thanks, Andy, for having me. It was terrific. Cool, man. All right, folks, it's time for us to bounce up on out of here. Before we go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to get a recap of tonight's show and to get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.